1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm August Baker with the New Books Network. Today, we are talking with Dr. John Mills, a Canadian psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst, sorry, psychologist and philosopher, who was previously a guest on New Books Network about 10 years ago. He's a faculty member in the postgraduate programs in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy at Adelphi University and emeritus emeritus professor of psychology and psychoanalysis at the Adler Graduate Professional School. He's the author and editor of over 20 books in psychoanalysis, philosophy, psychology, and cultural studies. Today, we're talking about the book, Debating Rational Psychoanalysis, John Mills and His Critics. And so this is an interesting volume. It contains both Dr. Mills' writings, and those of his critics. Uh, Roy Barsness said that this book was like having a front seat to a theoretical and practical boxing match. Jill Jill Gentile called the book um, exhilarating, refreshing, and brave. And Karen Morota said that uh, the often heated responses by his critics reveal both intellectual differences and personal affronts. Dr. Mills has been called, quote, the most important and profound spokesman to critique the relational psychoanalytic movement. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Welcome, Dr. Mills.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So I wanted to start off by um, talking about these three terms, psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, and then relational psychoanalysis. I, I think of psychotherapy as being the broadest and then psychoanalysis is a type of psychotherapy. And then relational psychoanalysis would be a top type of that. But I'm wondering if you could maybe give just a placeholder definition for these things so we can understand what, what they are.
0: Well, this is a, uh... Ongoing debate. Um, We have a difficult time defining what psychoanalysis is and does, let alone what psychotherapy is. And um, there's a lot of fine hair splitting when it comes to to this. Um, And then then when we try to define what relationality is, you have a a whole contingent of people who are debating what that really means. So, Maybe we should go with the conventional um, definition that psychotherapy is um, a a form of um, a talk therapy that's based upon dialogue and communication. Of course, that would apply to the definition of psychoanalysis. Uh, But it really, I think, comes down to um, uh, the historical differences in theoretical orientations assumptions about human nature and um the frequency and furniture wars that uh exist between psychoanalysis and psychotherapy um but
1: um could you uh, tell uh, the listeners what what you mean by that I, I think i know frequency and furniture would be whether you how many times a week you come and whether you lie on the couch
0: correct correct and uh, I I think that that's misguided in today's um, culture. Um, You know, psychoanalysis has to accommodate um, the types of people that seek them out, and so I I, I believe that in today's society, and particularly in North America, but uh, maybe maybe the United States in particular that traditional psychoanalysis is, you know, is a dead dog. Only only a few people can uh, have the luxury of attending many times a week and have the funds to do it. And and so uh, I'm in agreement with Lou and Aaron that, um, uh, you know, particularly a relational approach is becoming more mainstream uh, among psychotherapeutic practitioners across the board that are drawn to the relational tradition, but they don't have to be considered, uh, you know, bona fide analysts. They're, they're often people who are, are using, you know, psychodynamic and analytic approaches to their, you know, weekly treatment of their patients.
1: Okay. I understand. I understand that. Um, I, and, and, I think that you know what people may not realize, although you um, are known as the, uh, you know, as I said before, the most profound uh, critic of relational psychoanalysis. You are yourself a relational psychoanalyst, and you have a lot of good things to say about relational uh, psychoanalysis. Um, and and I think that this book, you know, has articles going back 20 years, it covers the, the history of this debate. And um, I'm just wondering, as you look back, um, what would you say are the, the most important of the criticisms that you've made um, about relational psychoanalysis?
0: Well, um, I, I guess having, having written another book on this 10 years ago, um i would think that the you know the main criticisms i have is that the relational uh, movement hasn't really developed its own coherent theory so that that is the thing that i would i would definitely like to see um people work on in the future um i believe that uh some of the completely um, blown out of the water statements that that some of the early writers that were um, uh, contributing uh, to this discussion are are a complete negation of Freud, complete negation of of, uh, classical analysis, which is completely misguided in my opinion. And this is where um, the drive Versus relational model, um, you know, get, gets uh, misrepresented um, in, in the literature. Um, and you know, as a philosopher, you know, studying uh, German idealism and psychoanalysis, I mean, we we had to read these texts. And you know, anyone who's read Freud's um, uh, collected works will immediately see that how easy he he and and his followers have been um, uh, misrepresented in the literature. So I think that's uh, an important criticism that we don't need to have these extreme bifurcations when you can, it's really about matters of emphasis. Um, and, And so, you know, looking at what, you know classical theory has to contribute and building on that would it would be a better approach in my opinion but of course we know what revolutionaries do they you know they need to build up a movement right you, you know when you when you find a straw man it's easy to burn right um and then you set yourself apart as being unique and different uh and then but then when you say things like um, this is a two-person psychology where Freud only has a one person, that's not true. When you, when you hear things like, you know, the myth of the isolated mind, that's completely not true. Nothing like this was in Freud's Texas. Right. Um, the, the other, I guess, um, uh, the other important, I think, criticisms have been the almost wholesale adoption of the postmodern term. And, and I have grave concerns about that, because, um, again, it's overstating things, um, particularly if you want to boil everything down to language, um, as if, you know, um, everything's a social construction. That's not the case. Um, it, it's the the um, similar uh, similar approach would be in let's say in, in the sciences where every everything's boiled down to a brain state well that's not the case mm-hmm. so um, these extreme views of of mind of nature of um, uh, of reality and truth uh, in epistemology are uh, uh, you know are some concerns and then I guess um, although I Find the entire approach to uh, relational work to be one that I have identified with, um, you know, since my early career um, and have considered myself a relational practitioner. That it really, uh, it, to what degree are we comfortable with the excesses that can easily happen? And, and from the literature has happened when um, there's too much um, self-disclosure, self-revelation, um, counter-transference uh, uh, enactments, which is a, the big term today. Um, and uh, so I, I'm a little bit more conservative than, than some of my uh, relational uh, colleagues are in, in presenting their casework, but that doesn't mean that um, uh, it doesn't mean that I don't appro- uh, approach my work that way.
1: Right. And I, I see that. And I got this the sense from that, um, from reading the book. I think, you know, I, when I started reading the relational literature, I was also um, shocked by, because I had read Freud first, I was shocked by the mischaracterizations of, of Freudian theory. And then and I was uh, exasperated, angry, <laughs> and then I wondered why. Why am I getting angry about this? Um, especially because, I mean, is it my identification with with Freud? Or, or but it, I just sometimes I think, you know, am I being a pedant? Why can't relational analysts? A lot of them are analysts full time. They're not scholars, right? So they haven't read the standard edition. And I find myself exasperated, but I also kind of wonder why I am so exasperated. What is it, do you think that is, um, what, what's wrong with, with um, analysts, just to be provocative, what's wrong with a relational analyst today not knowing Freud at all, having a mischaracterization?
0: Well, um, for, for, for wh- whoever that applies to, Let's say arbitrarily, if they haven't read Freud, then they really have no business, uh, you know, critiquing Freud. Uh, and um, I mean, most of the literature draws upon secondary sources. You don't see, you don't see them delving into these texts that you would see in the humanities. Um, so uh, a lot of other um, you know, analysts who work full-time as clinicians um, are also very focused upon clinical work and not necessarily on, um, uh, you know, where our roots are. Mm -hmm. And and that is looking at historically um, some of these leading seminal texts that have, uh, that should be required for anyone who studies psychoanalysis, but also the whole movement. Um, the whole movement of psychoanalysis, um, like uh, the mere fact that Jung was just airbrushed out of history, is amazing. Um, the rich, uh, the rich writings and uh, you know view view of uh, of life that he has to offer in the soul. Um, but um, you know, again, these are also political things. Uh, People may not be interested in in theory and scholarship, but they they really should be. Um, I guess uh, I I don't know if I would say I was angry reading these things, but but kind of s- astonished that some of it would even be published because it's just patently false or wrong.
1: Right. Yeah. I um. Th- that kind of brings me to the. Uh, next question when you started um pointing this out uh pointing these things out it you evoked a lot of strong reactions and i was wondering um why you think that was What, what sort of chords did you strike why did it create such uh heat
0: well i was um a relatively young person coming on the scene so let's say I was probably mid thirties when I started, um, publishing, you know, great deal. And, um, the original critique article is what brought the heat. Um, I I can't of course know what people's internal emotional states are or, or, um, their motivations or their conflicts or why they would, uh, feel so um, personal about a critique of ideas, but um, we, we all know uh, of our narcissistic inclinations all too well. And I think that um, one thing that philosophy taught me was you, you needed to develop a capacity to argue for your position. And, and that always involves critique. It involves originality, and it also uh, means that you don't take things personally. Um, that that's also what the role of science is. It's to um, uh, you know follow up on on you know models, of, uh, ideas, and and if they can't be verified, you abandon them. But you don't get angry at, at your audience if, if certain high scientific hypotheses don't prove out have any evidence or validity so i think a lot of this is that people um were offended that that their ideas were being uh, critiqued and they're overly identified with them and uh it also uh is due to a lot of political uh and power differentials that exist among the coterie of friends
1: right yeah it's interesting i think you you suggest this if not say it but you know the relational movement talks about the importance of the importance of being nurturing and kind and supportive and it's almost like that carried over into the scholarly work we want to be supportive of each other's scholarly work not ruthless critique as you say
0: well clearly um uh, if you know in the last two books that came out on um I think it's a de-idealizing relational psychoanalysis and, and another, um, you know, like a critical examination. If you carefully go through those books, it's and read them where they're supposed to be critiquing each other. It still seems very much like a, you know, a circle of friends having mm-hmm. some minor disagreements, right. Rather than let's say um, in the, in the, tradition of critical theory that that one would be ruthless about these things, right? Right.
1: Yeah. I also had the sense that when when, um, relational psychoanalysts have written histories, there's a tendency to want to validate each certain theorist along the way as improving on the one before. And in that sense, the originator Freud is just becomes that author who was improved upon 17 times.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what uh, the buddy system's about, right? Uh, mutual self
1: promotion. Right. I thought um, you're, you know, one of the things that you, um, you draw attention to is the relation of the comparison of psychoanalysis and philosophy and know thyself as something that you could tie in with both philosophy and psychoanalysis or psychotherapy. Um, I was wondering, um, how, how would you um, distinguish those two, first of all? I mean, clearly, we, w- we, we, we might say that philosophy would be important for everyone, but psychotherapy would only be, or psychoanalysis would only be for people who, what? Can't well. First of all, they have the resources to benefit from this, but also there there would be. I mean, um, there are people who can achieve insight and um, authenticity without therapy. Do you have any sense of of what then distinguishes the the enterprise of philosophy from the enterprise of psychotherapy or psychoanalysis?
0: Well, there's a lot of differences. Um, uh, I think the difference. Is really on the focus and the um, the goals, and um, so uh, at the same time, um, you know, there's a lot of overlap uh, to such a degree as it's very hard to to, to you know tease out anything that really s- stands apart from our our um, archaic ontology, so to speak. So I mean, I mean. It's been said that that Plato is the first psyche analyst. I mean, his his entire um, introduction to uh, you know his his dialogues to the Western world was the it, the first textual introduction to um, you know to to philosophical thinking. Um, so, what's he focus on? He focus on the soul, and, and hence when aristotle comes and then basically uh i mean he 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 creates the edifice for where where we are today largely um it's hard to uh to think about what um how psychoanalysis is a unique or distinct theory um i think the main distinction though would be that um uh you know, Freud um, introduces the centrality of the unconscious in all these aspects of psychic life that had been talked about by the ancients. Now, when it comes to a method of healing or a method of treatment, um, you, know, given that, you know, given that we are a relatively, you know, um, relatively speaking, we're still in the infancy uh, if you think that you know psychology as a formal discipline did not even become organized until the late 19th century. So um, we're only talking over a hundred years. Uh, but there's been always attempts at internal healing, at um, uh, you, know, amelioration of, of, of internal conflicts or external conflicts. And various types of cultures had their own, um, you know, indigenous or shamanic types of healing practices and rituals as, as does religion.
1: So. Um, we think of the, conf- the confessional as a one possible forerunner of uh, therapy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but in, in our, you know, modern, era now um this is uh is different because people often aren't coming into treatment because they want to ponder the universe uh they're coming into treatment for specific existential reasons mm. that have, have to do with the quality of their you know phenomenal life their relationships or you know their with other people i mean these are the main things that bring people into treatment. Uh, they're not happy. Yeah. So that's a little bit different than a more that's of true. A, a pedagogical type of approach to reading and discussing philosophy.
1: I think um, now I can only speak, well, I can't even speak to being in time really, but I certainly can't speak to anything after being in time. But uh, I think if you think about Heidegger and being in time, there is a sense of um, crisis there, of um, a need to uncover, to clear. I know you mentioned out What is it? Alethea. Uh, Alethea. Alethea. Um, do you see? Do you see? Uh, you know, I, I, it was. It's. It's more though. Um, the individual as opposed to the individual with someone else. And in fact, there's a lot of uh, suspicion about Dasman. Mann. Um, how do you, have you thought about that? Because when you talk about uncovering or clearing away or um, the, uh, opening up a clearing space, it seems like it has some resonances with the psychoanalytic treatment.
0: Oh, oh absolutely um so yes i've, I've you know i certainly am an admirer of, of heidegger's work not not his personhood but um and having having written on being in time in a few of my publications um, the notion his 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 turn to the truth of being uh is really a a return to the ancient notion of disclosedness or, or unconcealment. And um, of course, that's exactly what we're doing in the consulting room. We're, we're looking for things that have, that are hidden, but yet have always been present. Uh, we are, we're trying to open up spacings in the psyche that, uh, you know, provide a porthole to other unconscious realms. Uh, but at the same time, there's always going to be a, a concealing or a covering over when, we, when there's a, a new opening.
1: Exactly. And,
0: and that's the dialectical nature of the psyche.
1: Right. Yeah, there's sort of a, a suspicion of systematic theory in, in, in Heidegger. Well, as soon as it gets built up, you might need to tear it down again. That's my sense.
0: Well, it depends, yeah, how you want to look at it. I mean, um, it's it's interesting that Heidegger had um, disparaging comments to say about psychoanalysis when he seems to have been engaging in his own existential psychoanalytic philosophy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, Dasein is, you know, basically the human being who exists as self, <laughs> you know uh, it, it lives in proximity to others and within a communal world and within the cosmos itself and we have a relationship to all these different aspects um, and yet there's those hidden elements uh, those unconscious elements that are in heidegger's philosophy he just doesn't bring it out that way
1: right um I do think that he does. Yeah, I was just reading this, but he he does say we don't really want to look at the reflecting eye because the nature of the human may be that that's um, that's precisely not who the subject is. The subject uh, the subject might be instead the other the the, the dasman or the they. Um, it's almost like he but it did, it did seem very similar to me. Um, well, yeah, well, Dasman would be,
0: or the they um, uh, comportment would be an inauthentic one, but, but it's one in which we all live in every day. I mean, we, we have to go through both, again, uh, it's a dialectical kind of uh, sojourn through both authentic and inauthentic states. Uh, and that's just, part of, you know, the human trajectory. And um, if we can come together with pulling these things into more of a unification, I would say that uh, that is uh, probably more helpful for a person to integrate different aspects of themselves.
1: I know you have um, focused, you've, you've talked about how the, the unconscious is so important in um, psychoanalysis and it's, sometimes it seems like it's been left behind. Although one of the articles in, in, their, in this volume that by Sofer and Kuchuk is pretty helpful about um, incorporating it back in. Um, but I was wondering about um, the death drive. It seems to be still completely absent from relational psychoanalysis. Um, let me read just here's a quote from you from this book. Unless one is a misanthrope, disturbed, traumatized, or deranged, all people deep down want to be happy, experience peace, to flourish and prosper, to beget or create, to have a family or be a part of what a family signifies love, acceptance, empathy, validation, recognition. Then contrast that with Freud. Civilization and its discontents. Men are not gentle creatures who want to be loved. <laughs> Men are their neighbor tempts you to use him sexually without his consent, to seize his possessions, to humiliate him, to cause him pain, to torture and to kill him. Um, what, what what has happened to that? Well, these
0: are two polarities. Um, I think one is is grounded in our Natural desires—it's grounded in embodiment. Um, I mean, it's—it's it, it's actually comical that anyone would want to deny the reality of the life within that revolves around Freud's, you know, two primary um, uh, drives. That, you know, whether it be sex or eros, or whether it be aggression and death. I mean, these are central aspects to who we are that gets played out in different modes, different manners. And and so on one hand, of course, um, this is the edifice of his turn and, and, you know, beyond the pleasure principle where, you know, death becomes the, the impetus for life. And it's about an integration of... Uh, the, the, the two polarities in the, in the psyche that are simultaneously striving for their own expression and then when you impose on there what they what, what you really want uh, is to have it all have your cake eat it too but we would prefer to have these these conflicting wishes met in circuitous ways or through compromise formations and I don't think anybody, well, again, um, a- anyone who um, is being genuine and honest is going to negate that they don't have these aggressive inclinations in them. We all do. Uh, it just they come out in different forms, and particularly they can come out in relational. Uh, what we see uh, all the time—they come out relationally due um, to the degree that we call them relational aggressions or microaggressions now. Um, but um, these are. this is, again, the way that the, the dialectic flows, this is the way um, the Dasein uh, will uh, meander through the various uh, modes of authenticity and inauthenticity. Um, uh, getting back to Heidegger, what, what, what's the central thesis of Heidegger? Well, he says da, the essence of Dasein on one hand is care, it's concernful solicitude, if not love for others. And on the other hand, it is fraught with anxiety and it's terrified of death. And death is the driving, death anxiety is a driving force. So he, he has his own little dialectic going on. Um, but I do think in the end that um, we're all trying to fumble toward ecstasy, so to speak and hope uh, that we arrive on some kind of relational docket because um, I you know doing clinical work for 25 years, you know uh, you know all too well people who suffer from isolation, loneliness, solitude, uh, their own their own aggressions uh, that they, uh, yeah. Cut off, they cut off opportunities for uh, you know uh, interpersonal connection and intimacy.
1: And but is there a sense that um, like we look out there and we see a lot of people who don't seem to want to experience peace, well, or love, acceptance, sympathy, validation, recognition? Maybe within a certain group they do, but not for, you know, large, um, not on a grand scale. Uh, I don't, um, I'm just wondering, is I, I'm wondering if there's a sense in relational psychoanalysis that that is some sort of, that person has been traumatized or that person is disturbed, or that is a, um, some sort of injury that needs to be corrected. And I'm not sure why that follows.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with you uh, that I think the the shifting away from it's not really about innate drives that's creating these, you know, interpsychic conflicts that, you know, due to frustrated wish fulfillment, but it really has to do with um, our relationship to other people. And um, and that's the emphasis, that's the primacy of relatedness that they want to put on things. Um, on the other hand, um, it doesn't it doesn't negate the fact that we could have both of these um, you know proclivities that are operative at once in the psyche, and and some people develop a more of a one sidedness, um, and they haven't been able to find that balance between uh, their internal uh, desires and conflicts. Um, the other thought is uh, people have the need to have enemies.
1: Right. Yeah. You said that. I, I thought that was a good point. Yeah. It's a, it's exhilarating. <laughs> um, but when you, you know, one of the things you talked about in um, the, uh, you talked about what is exclusively relational and, um, you know, the, there was a survey of, I guess what people, what relational psychoanalysts consciously emphasized. So we get non-authoritarian, deep listening and immersion, courageous, honest speech. And then in fact, the study did arrive at one broad category love. And I'm thinking, uh, I, I think about, you know, Winnicott hating the counter-transference, and, which is some, it's somehow just such a refreshing thing to read um, because it's, um, I guess, normalizing. Uh, uh, and I just wonder, that itself seems to be also contrary maybe to the for, more classical view, which was, you know, hate is natural and um, and we can't take people for what they say they, they're doing. We don't really know.
0: Well, I, I, I would think that my relational colleagues would agree with with that, um, I I would imagine the the way that the analytic, you know, environment is set up is to, you know, is to irritate the transference. And and that's going to bring out, you know, all these negative things, uh, everything from one's developmental traumas, to uh, their deprivations, their lack, their, um, the abuses, that they've either had uh in fantasy or reality and they project on to the analyst uh over time this is what happens uh, uh, so um they i would imagine if they're like myself you're still ha- even if you ha- operate relationally you're still having to deal with people's hostilities
1: right and you also uh You know, I mean, I think the thing about Winnicott is he shows his hate. He says he shows his hate by the end of the hour. Um, Maybe that's just too strong a word for people to use now, the word hate. But um, there's also hate and frustration on the analyst side. Yes. And isn't that more emphasized in the classical literature and kind of de-emphasized now?
0: Well, again, I, I, I don't keep up on everything every writing, uh, that's taking place in the relational journals. Um, but, um, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think there's a great deal of, uh, of writing about enactments and counter-transference.
1: True, 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 right.
0: Impasses and
1: direct- Yes, that's yeah. certainly true. Right. That's certainly true. Um, you had an interesting case about a, um, oh boy we're running out of time um i'm gonna have to skip that question i i did want there was a i thought a very interesting chapter in the book by someone named Mirav roth who talked about the kleinian view and i wasn't really sure um what your thoughts were on that did um is the concept of projective identification something that you work with or that is helpful to you
0: oh very much um one of my early books is called Treating Attachment Pathology, and um, and I I definitely um, find the concept and the function of projective identification to be extremely useful, particularly clinically. Um, maybe not so much as a developmental theory that Klein would adopt, but um, if you look at if you look at projective identification. Um, from the standpoint that Klein was seeing to stream, extremely disturbed kids, what we would call attachment disordered or disorganized attachment styles today, uh, that kind of could make sense. Uh, but to, to take a, a developmental concept from infancy uh, and, and then retrofit it to the adult world is, right. is is problematic. But but anybody who works clinically is gonna be caught in their own floating in their own countertransferences around whose projection is it? Uh, unconsciously I'm identifying with something that I can't even identify in myself. Uh, and it's it's overwhelmed me emotionally that I or cognitively that I don't know how to deal with in the moment. And then the only By processing that later, you realized that the patient was evacuating this nasty stuff into me, and I was absorbing it, Um, and and I I very much uh, uh, think that the projective identification is a terrific um, uh, concept to use, uh, particularly around clinical theory, and I use it in supervision. It's just invaluable.
1: Okay, good. Um, yeah, I, and I thought that was an excellent article. And there's a lot, you know, some of your um, the critics are, you know, making very good. Or you learn a lot from reading their um, their their pieces. I, I guess we only have time for one more question. I, you know, uh, Karen Moroda said that the often heated responses by his critics reveal both intellectual differences and personal affronts. And I recognize that you've won awards and a lot of recognition for your work in this area, but it seems like as I was reading it, I kept thinking there must have been some pretty dark times in the beginning when you were getting so much criticism. Uh, I can't imagine there weren't. I don't know if you have any um, thoughts on that or um, how you got through that.
0: Well, uh, yeah, that, that was a, a rough time, uh, it, in a nutshell, um, I kind of got alienated and excommunicated from certain circles. And then I also had been befriended by, you know, many, many senior people in the field that went on to help, to help me and my, and build my career. So it, uh, if anything, um, uh, it was just a, I, I suppose, an inevitability um, uh, th- that I would, uh, you know, create enemies and and uh, and then meet new friends.
1: Well, that's a good point. Yeah, that, that's a, that's just a good point. Um, okay. Well, Dr. Mills, I really appreciate your, your talking with me today. It was a pleasure to read the book and to um and uh, very engaging. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you for your kind invitation. I appreciate it.